Come on in. Hey, welcome. Uh, so how many of you, this is your first time in this class? Okay, I'm gonna go back to the week one. <laughs> Start over again. Um, that's great. Um, so this class is about walking in the Holy Spirit. What, is, what does that mean? This class has gone on in various forms for years. Um, so I'm taking a very different approach, a uh, very unusual approach. And that is um, to start out, so I'm a geeky engineer, okay? And so to start out, it, it's kind of like some people get a microwave and if they can press the button and it goes on, they're good with that. And everything else about it is sort of a mystery. So I'm the guy who highlights the, the manual, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. And um, <clears throat> some of us are pretty good connecting with God and, and kind of stuff happens and we just, we kind of muddle through and we're okay. So, but I'm the guy who says, what is the, what does scripture really say? Come on in. What does scripture really say about our makeup? What, what buttons do we have? Who are we really? And how does that cause us to interact with God in certain ways, to change in certain ways, to grow to be certain people? And so we have been um, talking about the framework, and I'll, I'll review a little bit, but we've been, been talking about sort of our makeup, our body, soul, spirit makeup, what, what happened at the fall, how does that impact our lives today? Um, for me, um, I found it just really, really helpful as a college student to start to understand this stuff and go, oh my gosh, so that's why I feel that. Oh, so that, oh, so, oh, okay, I get it. I, you know, we're gonna do a couple of fun experiments today um, as well. Um, but I also taught this maybe 25 years ago at Belmont, it was Belmont College back then. And uh, the kids just really, there's maybe 30 or 40 kids and just a impromptu Bible study that popped up. And they were like, oh, we've never really heard this before, but it's really helpful when I'm encountering temptation or this happens or that happens, I go, oh. You know, and so, that, so that's what we were really trying to do. And we're gonna learn simple and practical ways. So, so in the first week, we talked about these scriptures where Paul says, look, I can't speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh. And so um, spiritual is pneumaticos, pneuma, pneumatic tires, uh, men of the flesh, sarkikos, sarcophagus. And so, so he says, look, there's, there's two kinds of people in that one sentence. There's people whose primary motivation is spiritual, and there's people whose primary motivation is physical. Then a little later, um, in a later chapter, he says, look, um, now we've not received the spirit for the world, spirit is from God, and we combine spiritual wisdom, spirit with spirit, but the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, he can't understand them because they're spiritually praised. And the word natural is psychikos, psychological man, the mind man. And so Paul, and you can see other places, scripture, he defines not three kinds of people, but three kinds of motivations within one person. And he says that, that we, we can be primarily motivated in that mode in life. 
So the Sarkikos man is about drinking, drugs, fighting, if I get mad, I punch. It's, it's, it's driven by brain chemistry, driven by the drives of the body. And we would say, that's not us. We're, we're driven by exegesis of truth in the Word of God. We're driven by logical arguments. We're dri and, and, and Paul would, would say that's a natural man, a psychikos man, someone who is logical in how they do things, someone who derives truth through analysis um, and, and then uh, establishes ways of behavior within the, within the boundaries of the truth that they establish. You can say, well, what could possibly be wrong with that? that I do that, you know, so we go, what could possibly be wrong? And there's not a right and a wrong in these things. There's just ways that we're motivated. And Paul says, look, the natural man doesn't necessarily accept the things of the Spirit of God because they seem foolish to that, that person. They seem, they seem nonsensical. They seem too simple. They seem childish. They seem crazy. They seem you're dancing and raising your hands in worship. Doesn't that, isn't that unseemly? And yet David did it, um, and someone else thought it was unseemly, his wife. And so you kind of go, and I'm not saying that's what describes the spirit man, okay? I'm just saying that, that there can be a foolishness about the spirit side, um, and, there can, and so God doesn't say you shouldn't have physical motivation, you shouldn't be logical, you shouldn't use your brain, but he also says there's this other dimension and in that dimension, I, the God of infinite wisdom, am pleased to act foolishly with my people, or am pleased to come at them in a way that they cannot define, frame, and limit within their own cognizance, within their own intellect. I'm going to work outside of their intellect and challenge their intellect. And, th and that's going to be okay with me. I hope it's okay with them as well. And so those are then the, the three kinds uh, of of, we'll say people, but really it's three kinds of motivations within us. And so I can then, if I'm, if I'm thinking about this, I can then discern the motivation. So someone, so I'm talking about, or let's say someone is just talking about this overwhelming spiritual experience, saying, man, it feels like my whole life changed. And then someone else could say, well, now, you know, in Luke it says, and you kind of go, Stop, you know, stop. Let's first be encouraging, you know, or, or whatever. Or someone can say, I feel like God told me to go to Uganda. Yeah, but you've got to finish college. You know, so all of a sudden it's you and your dad talking, you know, and it's like, well, and he might be right. Okay, I'm not saying he's wrong, but I'm just saying that there's different motivations. So it's good for us to discern those motivations. Um, we also talk then about this guy, and that is, uh, it says when, when God took the dust of Adam and breathed spirit into him. So we have spirit and dust. He breathed into him and he became a soul. He became a living soul. And so when we say I'm a sarkikos man, I'm primarily saying I, I'm motivated out of that part of my being. If I'm a psychikos man, I'm motivated out of the soul. If I'm a now, in a, in a certain mode, looking spiritually to be spiritually motivated, pneumaticos, then I'm motivated out of that part of my being. So I have three parts. So it's not just three motivators, but those motivators are places within me. They're not just good ideas. 
Okay? There are places within my physical, spiritual makeup that go beyond good ideas and actually have geographical, psychological locations. Okay? So this is all by way of, of review. So let's talk a bit about, and I think uh, looking at the, uh, <coughs> at the board over there from Jeannie last week, let's talk about this. So the body is our world consciousness. So if you say, what are the voices of the body? So let's think of our soul as kind of grand central station and inputs come in, okay? And so the soul doesn't have any way to apprehend the world except through the body, through the senses and interpretation of those senses from the body. So the body has five senses, but the body's got its own voice called the drives, the drives of the body. And so if you study neuroscience or um, <clears throat> then, then you can see that there's fight or flight, for example, and you go to the back of your brain and T-Rex arrives and, and you're not, you know, it's too late to start to talk sense to someone who's gone to the back of their brain. <clears throat> and so, and so, so the, the body has senses and drives. And so Paul says, look, I buffet my body and make it my slave because the drives aren't necessarily appropriate to society or that time in the bar, okay? The, the, the drives are the drives, and we're to control those drives. The drives are not necessarily good or bad, but remember we talked about that when Adam fell, there was a rearrangement of that three-part structure, and there is a part in there called the flesh. Um, So you see that little thing there called the flesh. And for, to the best of my ability, the flesh is not synonymous with the body. It's, it's driven by the drives of the body, especially as they go on to become caricatures of, of actual drives. But it's what we would call, what scripture calls, what philosophers call the fallen nature. The, the part of us that wants to do wrong, dang it, all the time in any situation wants to do wrong. Okay, and so that's that, it's lurking there, and, and it's sort of part and parcel with the body and the dark, if the mind starts to darken, if there's not, if there's not a born-againness to the life, then there's a darkness that, that is all flesh, it's all fallen, the fallen nature. And so we can see again and again in scripture, we were darkened in our understanding, separated from the love of God. Okay, so we see the, the dark lightness about it. <clears throat> The soul is our self-consciousness, grand central, and it's made up of our thinker, our decider, and our feeler. So our mind, so we have a brain, and neuroscience can operate on the brain, but you get to a certain point, and, and neuroscience kind of goes, well, it, it's maybe psychologists need to step in here because I can tell you what happens biochemically within the brain, but I can't necessarily tell you why it happens. But maybe a psychologist can help you tell why it happens. And so we get into the place of the mind, the thinker. Okay, so the brain is, is meat. The mind is something else that we're not sure what it is. Okay, it's not just meat though. <clears throat> it's certainly driven by the meat. And if you're a straight-up biologist, Darwinist, then you say it is totally driven by the biochemical reactions of the meat. It's, it's all about uh, brain chemistry. It's all about serotonin and oxytocin and all those brain chemicals, right? 
Um, dopamine primarily, by the way, for young men. Uh, and then we have the feeler, the emotions. And so if we work our way, some people will say, when we work our way through the soul, the mind is at the surface, the mind interacts with the brain. The will is in the middle that makes decisions based on input. And the emotions lie at the very bottom of our soul, just above the spirit, if we kind of work our way in. And I've thought about that for a lot of years, and I know in my own life it's pretty true. Um, typically when I am encountering God, it, it first feels like emotion before it feels like a thought. It feels like a feeling or a picture before it becomes a thought. Okay, so for me, that's just kind of the way it works. I'm not saying it works that way with everybody. It's funny you might get a direct thought, but I'm just saying those three parts. And so, so the will sits in the middle and you're saying, should I go to the dance tonight? And you're, you're kind of sorting through input. I'm tired. Okay, that's the body speaking. Uh, that girl will probably be there. That, I'm not sure what's speaking, but that's starting. I'm, I, could, I could drink a Red Bull. You know, and so you, so you start to make these decisions, and that's the will making decisions based on input. <clears throat> the spirit we'll talk more about, but so as we work our way to the center core, remember Paul said, I would that in 1 Thessalonians 5, something. He said, I would that you be preserved complete, that your, that your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved complete until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul makes this tripartite, not bimodal sense of existence. Much of the church has grown up saying, I'm body and soul, I'm body and soul, I'm body and soul. But you look at scripture, for example, Mary says, um, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit doth rejoice in God my Savior, right? So there's, there's an example of that on the way here. Don't ever update your phone on a Sunday morning. Um, <clears throat> well, anyway, oh, there we go, Andy. Oh, yeah, the woman at the well. <clears throat> so the woman at the well is, is making this positional-based thing about worship. Well, do we worship here or there? Now, I'm about to tweak you. Do we use instrumental music or not instrumental music? Do, you know, asking those kind of questions, and Jesus goes, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. I don't care where, I don't care what mode, but I do care how. And if you're not worshiping in spirit, you're maybe not worshiping him. And you go, okay, Jesus, you want to describe a little bit more about that in spirit thing, since that's so darned important to you? <clears throat> Jesus is talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood, and people leave him. And he says to Peter and a few that stay, are you going to leave too? And he said, the flesh profits nothing. This is John 6:60 something. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. And he said, did I not choose you? Right? In other words, he said, there's something about your spirit. Because when he's speaking those words, he knows full well he's going to offend the mind to reveal the heart. God always does that. And so he speaks these words, and people who are taken in him literally, who are thinking as natural men, are offended. But people who are taking him spiritually, and by that I don't mean metaphorically, 
I mean there is a reality of what he said in the spirit world. And Peter goes, heck yeah. There's something inside of his spirit that swells and he goes, this is life. But for the other ones, it wasn't life. Um, <clears throat> John starts at the book of Revelation and he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then he does the whole book of Revelation. You go, wait, John, you know, go, go back. You were what? Wait, what? See, and so he doesn't explain it. He just says it because he assumes the readers would understand what he says, but do we understand what he said? Okay, and we always talk about the flesh. Any questions before we have some fun about that? That, that was a lot. Okay, any, anything just pop up you want me to touch on right away? Okay, um, get, get to a place where you can stick your right leg out. So turn sideways, turn, turn something, because what I'm gonna want you to do <coughs> is stick your right leg out and make clockwise circle. Just, just move in a clockwise circle. Okay, now put your, your right finger up and make a number six. Same time. At the same time? At the same time. We'll try to. Okay, what's happening? You, you can't, what? I mean, you go, okay, my mind knows I can do this. But I can't do it. I, I, you see, either typically your leg stops and starts going the other direction because your brain goes finger more important than leg. What the finger wants gets, but see, you're using the exact same part of your physical brain to do two different things and your physical brain, come on in, your physical brain can only do one thing. And so, and so it chooses the thing it's going to do. And it doesn't matter what your soul wants to do. It doesn't matter what your logic wants to do. You, you, you guys quick try this. Try it? Yeah. So stick out your right leg and make a circle like this, a clockwise circle with your right leg. Now put up your, your right hand and make a number six in the air. <laughs> just, just make a number six. <laughs> Isn't that freaky? That is freaky. I'll, I'll work on that. that, that you can't work on it. That's the problem. Because your, your brain, your body, no matter what your soul thinks, your body says, heck no. Okay, look at this. Okay, now you know that's not moving, right? Your mind tells you that is not moving. But it's moving. Okay. Why is it moving? Because the, the, the color and the pattern sequence tricks your physical brain to make you think it's moving. And no amount of logic is going to change that. It's not moving. It's not moving. <laughs> no, it is not. It is, it, is a, it is not moving. It is just sitting there. But everything around it, out of peripheral vision moves, right? Okay, so, so this, is, this is your physical brain being a piece of machinery that you are trying to make do something it can't do. And so it overrules you. It just flat overrules you. Okay? Now, 
Let's do one more. No, I, maybe I took that one away. Okay, so 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 you. It's easy to say, I'm not my brain. See, when you skin your knee, you say, I skinned my knee. You didn't say, I skinned myself. That would be really awful, right? So so you say, I skinned my knee. But when we say, when you're angry, you say, I'm mad. Right? You say, I'm mad. You don't say, I have a mad emotion. You say, my, my emotion is feeling anger right now. But actually, psychologists say, if you can take a step back and name the emotion, you gain ascendancy over the emotion. But if you are in the emotion, you have no perspective other than this is me and, I'm, and this is who I am. I am this. I am this feeling. But you're not this feeling. Okay? So, so my brain can be manipulated. My body can be manipulated. It can serve up information the mind knows is wrong but cannot be corrected. And this is all, we haven't even gone to brain chemistry and addiction and, and all of that. We're just, we're just playing games with the brain. But, <clears throat> but you can go into the place of opioid addiction and now the brain is serving up stuff your body just can't your, your body just doesn't seem to have the strength to overcome it because your brain is serving up this demand 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 alcoholism I grew up in an alcoholic family okay so Paul says look um, I buffet my body and make it my slave so that I'm not disqualified so he said he said the things that the brain wants to do, some of those things are just fun like that. And you, you know, it's not sinful to think that thing's moving, okay? Um, but there are things the body wants to do that feel just as strong that you do control, that you can control. Your, your mind can control it, okay? So this is the brain. Now let's, let's do another one. Okay, look at that. So which one is bigger? Now, your brain is just serving up a picture. That's all your, your brain is serving up at 100% accurate picture. But your mind is looking at that and it is thinking the one on the left is bigger. So in this, so what's different about this one than, than the, the wiggly one? What's conceptually different when we look at our structure? What's that? You mean like it's in comparison to others? Yeah, compared to the, the so, so the wiggly picture one was your brain was serving up a false image. And your mind knew it was false but couldn't change it. In this one, the brain is serving up an absolute accurate image, but your soul is interpreting it incorrectly. Okay? See the difference? So we might just say, I'm, I'm, but, but when you stop and look at the pieces, you go, okay, so in this case, my brain is right, my soul is wrong. Let's do another one. Try to do that. Ouch. <laughs> now, if you're a musician, this is easy, typically. You're an engineer, uh, you know, you got to write it down. <laughs> okay, do you feel your brain cooking? Yeah. I mean, you can literally feel your brain switch left brain, right brain, left brain, right, left, left, right. And, you can, and if you do this long enough, 
you can get to the point where you can go into the groove and it comes naturally. Okay? And for musicians, you know, they're playing and all of a sudden they're just playing, you know, and it just sounds amazing. You go, you do that without notes. Oh man, I was just in, I was just in the groove, man. We were just groove, you know. And you say, how do you do that? Because why? The right brain can just go into a flow that the left brain can't do. The left brain has got a, is a is a is an abacus, and the right brain is an integrator. And so you you have this, and so this then points out this is a this is a left brain right brain magnifying exercise, and this is all within your soul. Your, your, the brain is serving up exact, accurate information, but your soul is struggling. It doesn't know how to take the information and do something with it. Okay, let's, let's do one more. Okay, what is that? If you've seen it before, don't blurt it out. You're going, well, it's, it's a parrot. It's a parent. It's a parrot. Okay, does that help? Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so now I've shown you. Now let's go back. Now you see it. Okay, let's. Uh, okay, so you see. It's a woman sitting with her hand over her head and her leg down. It's a woman sitting on a dock pier about this big, okay? But she's posed with one leg up and one leg down. And so you can see this is her leg down. This is her other knee up. This is her hand. See, not, see, see so what happened in your brain? It is. It is. Come on in, man. It, it is so weird because now that your brain gets it, some of you can switch back and forth easily. Some of you are not stuck with the woman. It, there is no way you're going back to the parrot. Okay? And, and so, again, the brain is serving up. Can you flip it one more time? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, so, so here's her leg, and there's her foot, and here's her other leg, and her hand, and, and she's got her hand over her head like that. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. When you zoom in. Yeah, and so I zoomed in. How many of you saw the woman as soon as I zoomed in before I told you it was a woman? Yeah, some, some did. Um, but a lot didn't. And kind of, you'd have to get close enough where you just start to see her eye and her nose. You've got to really get in close before you see the truth. Ooh, that'd preach. Okay, so... Um, so, what is the point of all this? <clears throat> the point is, not only am I not my brain, but I'm also not my mind. When I say I, I'm not my mind. My, I have a mind. 
but I'm not only my mind. There, there's more to me than this. And my mind can be tricked. My mind can be deceived. Huh. Satan knows this. Satan knows that he can use the drives of the body to force me, my weak self, into action. And he also knows that he can deceive the mind. Deceive means to cause to believe a lie. And so I can be deceived into thinking something is true because it has been portrayed as true. I've experienced it as true. Some circumstances make it seem true. But God says, no, that's actually not true. But we, be we believe it's true. We, we just, everything about it seems true to us. And so if we act counter to that, it seems false to us because we need another source of information that's absolutely true, okay? So the Word of God is, is, is God's expressed truth about life and situations. But we also have the Spirit side of us, this Holy Spirit side of us. Um, so just, just like our mind can look at the brain and demonstrate it, in the same way, our spirit can look at the soul and help the soul sort things out. We'll talk about that later, another couple of classes from now. Okay, so let's shift gears. So I got three speeding tickets in one day. So on my way to Atlanta, it was a heck of a good thing I crossed one state line before I got my third speeding <laughs> ticket, or I would go straight to jail, do not pass go. Now, one of them was doing 16 in a 10 mile an hour school zone, okay? I mean, give me a break. Okay, and the other one was, um, I, I, I understand that. The other one was, I'm gonna counter that right now. The other one was, I was doing um, 65 in a 55 when construction workers are present zone, and there were no construction workers present, and I still got pulled over. And I tried to point that out to the nice officer. That didn't work well with me. The other one was I was flat late to go to, to get to my meeting in Atlanta and got a sure enough speeding ticket. And that third ticket, I literally, the officer drove off and I said, what? Okay, I mean, I literally said, what? And, and I, God just has a great sense of humor. I just, at least with me, he does. But um, he said, you think that breaking my laws is like speeding? Breaking my laws is like gravity. In other words, I am not the one who enforces my laws. The, the laws that I've set up in the universe are the primarily enforcer of my laws. We talked about, and somebody asked this question, the difference between right and wrong and life and death. Okay? When God portrays the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing right and wrong is seen almost as a curse because it's, it's a curse of establishing truth apart from God. That's what the curse was. Okay, you can know right and wrong, but you're on your own. And you are never gonna align right and wrong in life and death, because only I can establish what's life-giving and what's death. Remember in Deuteronomy when, when he says, um, <clears throat> I've laid before you the blessing and the cursing, life and death, choose life. Choose life, choose life. So in the same way, when, and this is a little side because somebody asked, but when we look at, at God, when we look at connecting with God, religion tells us to think in terms of right and wrong. Well, you don't know right from wrong. 
God tells us to look at it in terms of life and death. What gives us life and what brings death? When I think in terms of right and wrong, the stuff on the left starts to happen. To me, to my congregation, to, to the way I raise my kids, it seems imposed. And if I am tending to any rebellion, it feels artificial. Well, who said not to eat meat on Friday? Well, the Pope, well, wait. You know, but, but there, there may be other things in scripture or what a pastor says, or they, they feel artificial. And it feels like it's imposed on me from the outside and it's somewhat artificial. Someone else is enforcing on me. It can trigger rebellion. Um, and it makes God look harsh. If you look at what Eve said about God, and we did this a couple weeks ago, if you lay right on top of each other what God's command was and what Eve said, you find five significant differences that all were right and wrong based thinking. Don't even touch it, right? They, they, um, but life and death is, and this is the three speeding ticket thing, okay? Life and death is, this is the way things work and I would spare you from death, okay? God then becomes an advocate for life. Now, I'm not saying there aren't place, places and ways where he enforces, but even as a parent, you say, <clears throat> look, I'm enforcing on you a good parent, I'm enforcing on you ways of living that will cause you to prosper and be in health, that will cause you to be a godly person. Okay, I, I'm, because these ways of living are life to us in our society. And so, and so I am trying to align what I teach you, and I may say right and wrong, because you're a little young at five for me to say life and death, but the reality is I'm trying to teach you life and death because if you keep going down this pornography, cheat on your wife path, it will be death to you. Yeah, and, and it won't be death because God's gonna get you. It will be death because death is gonna get you because you are opening the door to Satan. S Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Why, why did Jesus say that? Because if you look back four or five verses, Simon goes, all of them will desert you, but not me. And Jesus goes, oh. Satan can now demand to challenge that. He can't, because you have stepped out of life, humility, service, laying your life down, into death, pride, arrogance, and judgment. And when you judge, you will be judged. And I'm not the one who's going to judge you, right? <clears throat> and so God, when we see it as life and death, and God becomes my ally, God becomes the one who goes, I am trying to save your life, right? And so then um, the obedience and the conforming of my life to life becomes something that's very attractive because it, it is the way of, of my soul prospering. It, it's the way that I prosper. It's the way that this world is designed to align myself with the goodness and favor of God. God's goodness and favor flows along certain lines. And if we follow those lines, we stumble into his favor. In the world, you, you will have tribulation, but we still stumble into his favor. We just do. So does that kind of make sense? So. Yeah, Andy, it's, it's interesting that 
make one of us take the life and death side and apply it to the right and wrong side. You know, where where it says, uh, God is my ally helping me use the system for blessing me, uh, triggering rebellion, someone else is enforcing it on me, you know, don't even don't even enter your thinking if you fall into that. Right. <clears throat> it doesn't. I think that the right and wrongness, remember there are two trees in the garden, right? Yeah. So, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a curse. It is a curse to live your life on a right and wrong basis. It, it is, it seems good. It seems right. It seems how can that be wrong? Eve said, oh, if I eat of this, I'll be like God. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. You're going to use that in a sermon someplace. I, I know you are. <clears throat> we may come back to this. Now. Any other questions about that? Life and deathness versus right and wrongness. Um, okay, so there are three laws that are not speeding laws, but they're uh, gravitational laws. And Paul talks about them here. This is in Romans 7 on into Romans 8. Remember a couple times ago, we talked about Paul saying, the good that I want to do, I don't do. I find myself doing the good I don't want to do. But if I'm doing the, I mean, I do the bad I don't want to do. If I'm doing the wrong I don't want to do, then I'm not the one doing it. Because on the face of it, evidence, prima facie, is that what we call that, Jay? On the face of it, if I feel bad about the wrong that I do, then God goes, you're not the one doing it. Your heart wants to obey me, but there's this thing called the flesh in you, which you give into and you fail. So, so like you often hear in church, I'm a sinner. But if you read the New Testament, that's not what God says you are. It sounds good. It feels good. It, it sounds humble. But it's contrary to scripture. Paul says, such some of you were, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were saved, but you, but, but, but. He says, look, don't see yourself as a sinner. See yourself as a saved. I'm, I'm a saved person. I'm a washed person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a free person who is saddled by this flesh thing, which I hate and God hates, and we agree. And when I die, it will be gone. And I'll go, oh my gosh, this is what it's like. This is what Adam and Eve gave up. How cool is this? There'll be, there'll be no anxiety, no pressure to do anything wrong, no jealousy, no, none of that. I mean, it will be, you read books like Imagine Heaven where it's all these uh, accounts of, of life after death experiences and or near death experiences. And every one of them says, it was so crazy. I, I could have my whole life recounted all the bad, and I felt no guilt, no shame. Just go, yeah, let's get that right here on earth, right? Let's get that with each other. And so when we treat each other as if that's who we are, then repentance becomes easy because I don't get co-identified with my sin because I'm not a sinner, right? That's what makes growing up fast, we can grow righteous fast when I don't identify as a sinner. Okay? That's got, God's got a crazy plan. Okay, so you see three laws there. <clears throat> we see, um, I joyfully concur 
with the law of God in my inner man, so that's my spirit, but I see different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Then we go back down here in Romans 8. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the law cannot do blah, blah, blah. Um, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law, that's the Jewish law, might be met in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so he's laying out, so now we know the parts. And so what he's laying out here is he's saying, not only do we have three phases, body, soul, and spirit, but each of those is governed by a certain law. And it's a gravitational law. <coughs> so you can see that, oh, my number shifted because I made the text bigger. Sorry. Oh, no, that's good. So you see the law of my mind, the law of the spirit of Christ, and the law of sin and death. So <clears throat> let's look at these three. So the brick is the law of sin and death. The paper airplane is the law of my mind, the natural man. The hot air balloon, or the helium-filled balloon, the spirit-filled balloon, um, is the law of the spirit of life. So the question is, which of these can fly? They all could fly through the air, right? <clears throat> Which of these can fly without effort? Just the balloon. Only the balloon. So the brick can fly if you, but it, it always crashes, it always, you know, it's never pretty and the end is always bad when we try to fly with the body. But we try to fly with a paper airplane all the time because it seems like it can fly. It can't fly. It looks like it can fly. It doesn't look like the brick. So you go, huh, look how sleek, look how, see, it can fly, clunk. No, no, it, it can. And so we, we do this all the time. We make it fly and we make better airplanes and we make better, 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 better. But God says, look, Unless you attach your soul to the balloon, flying will always be effort and always end in failure. And you will have to work every day, all day, to keep that airplane flying. Why don't you strive to enter into rest? Okay? So the, the law, this law, the law operating here of the lightness of air, lighter, lighter than air buoyancy principle, <clears throat> that law overcomes the law of my mind and the law of sin and death, and it does it naturally. The law in Romans 8, the law of the Spirit of God. And God says to us, I will give you a choice here what you're going to attach to, but you almost can't because your soul is self-consciousness, it has no leverage outside of itself. It can only think of thoughts that come into it. It can only think of ideas that come into it. And so you have these two inputs, and God says, uh, what's going on here? Okay, and so God says, look, your soul, Mr. Soul Man, you, the, I mean, those little creatures on your shoulder, we'll come back to this next week because I, I think we're out of time. Yeah, we are. Um, <clears throat> but, but God says, look, the mind set on the spirit 
is life and peace. It's not you have to strive for life and peace, you gotta work for life and peace. It says no. If you it says in, in Hebrews this crazy thing, it says strive to enter rest. You go. Because it is contrary to our intellect to operate in the spirit, it feels foolishness to us. Remember the natural man? It's contrary to intellect. It's contrary to didactic exegesis. It, not always. The, the two aren't opposite, or, or everybody would say, what the heck are we doing? But they look enough alike that we settle for it. And the natural man is predictable. You input this, you get that. You study this, you learn this. It's, it's, it's predictable, it's controllable, it's, it's it's if I study long enough, I'll, I'll learn this stuff. I'll grow, I'll, if I practice, you know, it's practice makes, per it, it, that's the whole thing. And, and that's not bad, it's just not best. And God doesn't say, abandon your mind. He says, attach your soul to the spirit. Attach your soul. Where is your dependency? Jesus said, I do nothing out of now look, at 12, he was as smart as the Pharisees, okay? That kid at 33 said, I do nothing out of myself, but only that which I see, hear, and sense the Father doing and saying. That's what I do. We can come up with lots and lots and lots of stuff in our soul. We can derive lots of stuff, read lots of stuff, and, and it's all good stuff, but it will never be glorious stuff. We can do lots of good things, but we can only do the things that God leads us to do with God, right? And God then calls us into a relationship that says, I love, I made that smart mind. I made, I made this, I made that, I made that. Would you attach it to the spirit part of you and my Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you? And I will teach you how to walk a foolish walk. That will be amazing. Okay, that, that's what he's calling us to do. And that's a, that's a very contrary way of living um, from some of what, and not contrary as an opposite. I mean, every, I mean, every Sunday you'll hear somebody say, like even today, uh, Robeson at the end said, you know, we, what we learn in scripture, what we see from friends, and what we're led by the Holy Spirit to do. That's absolutely true. All I'm saying is, is that we can begin to focus on that, put weight on that, and say, God, I'm after this part of my life. I'm after it. Will you show me how to do that? It's contrary to my mind. I, I, I will second guess myself, but I'm all in. I'm all in based on scripture. I'm all in based on this. Okay, so that, that's, that's kind of where we're going in this class. We're going to keep doing that. That's what the Ministry of Freedom Prayer tries to help us to do, the, the Romans 8 thing. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. So um, bring questions back next time. For those of you, this is your first and only time. These are, re these are recorded, and uh, you can download them and listen to them if you're bored. Um, so any last burning question? I'm going to hit pause.